Good morning. My name is Dawn. I serve as one of the ministers here at DSBC, and today I am honored to be able to share with you uh, as we continue in our series called Discipleship, as we review the Gospel of Mark together. And so we've been going through the Gospel of Mark uh, as one story, learning what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And I love this series because the way Pastor Caleb has modeled for us as we've gone through this series is that we've really focused in on how the ancient church would have heard these words. Uh, we know that at that time, there wouldn't have been multiple copies of the word. In fact, there might have been one copy shared among many cities, not just among a church family, but among many cities. And so we've been really focusing in on uh, how the ancient church would have experienced the word in that way. And as we've gone through the word, we've kind of just noticed how Jesus has had uh, his presence and his compassion and the way he did life. And so uh, it's just a way of understanding what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to follow the Father as the Father had called Jesus to live this life on earth. And so I'm excited because what I noticed when we've been going through uh, these chapters in Mark is that Jesus is the teacher, but we often don't see Jesus teaching in the way that we as maybe American academics might think of it, where there's a person at the front of the stage or at the front of the room, you know, teaching to a, a group of people. Jesus taught by doing. Jesus taught by saying, come, come with me. See how I handle these situations that you might also encounter. See how I do life. And that's what I want to point out to us is that uh, that is what discipleship is, that we are called to do life together, that our teaching is modeled in what we do day to day. The other thing that I noticed as we've been going through this study of Mark is that often, if you've been in the church for a long time, we often refer to uh, the first church as the church that we see in the book of Acts. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know what, really, this is Jesus' boots on the ground leading his church that we see in Mark. Now, I mean, Jesus is still leading his church to this day, but through the Gospels, we get this opportunity to see Jesus boots on the ground, discipling and leading his church. And here's the interesting thing. I think we often think that these people, these disciples of Jesus, men and women, uh, would go on to be church leaders. But we actually see that maybe many of them go on to be uh, marketplace leaders, business leaders, business owners, uh, homemakers, uh, creatives, artists, people who are leading in their community as disciples of Jesus in various ways. So I just want to keep that in mind as we are reading today, as we talk about the disciples, that these disciples were not just uh, future church leaders, okay? Okay, so as you walked in this morning, um, you should have received a handout if you're in the room. Uh, in that handout, we've included the text for today, which is Mark 14, 12 through 26. Um, if you're online, you're welcome to go grab your print Bible right now, or you can go online to Bible.com. And again, we're in Mark 14. We'll be in the version uh, Christian Standard Bible. And we hand this to you today because this, as we're noticing Scripture, we're assuming that you're going to notice things that maybe somebody else doesn't notice. 
or maybe you're going to have questions. So this is an opportunity for you to mark this up however it's helpful for you uh, to make notes of what maybe the Spirit brings to mind for you, to highlight, again, to write maybe a huge question mark because there are going to be things in this passage that are confusing. And so uh, I encourage you to use that in that way. But first, um, as we get ready to read the passage, like I said, we've been practicing reading this as the ancient church would have experienced the scripture. And so I'm going to ask you to uh, listen as I read the passage for today. And just, if you're comfortable, maybe close your eyes or just reflect and listen to these words and see what comes to mind. The word is meant to be experienced and imagined. And so I just want to encourage you to take this time to use your imagination. Be curious, be creative as you hear these words. Before I get started, though, this has been a story we've been going through. And so think about it like your favorite TV show. And we've, each week we've honed in on a little snippet of, of this story, of this narrative. And so I'm going to take a moment here because last week Pastor Caleb talked on the verses, the 12 verses before, chapter 14, 1 through 12. Um, and there's some significant events that happened then that are important for this passage now. So if you're watching your favorite TV show and you're not binging it, but you're watching it maybe week to week, or there's a little bit of time, you really appreciate those little recap moments at the beginning of the show that help you to call to mind some things that had happened before. And so let's just take a moment, let's recap on those verses 1 through 12 before we get into the scripture today, so that you have the full context of uh, what our ancient church would have had in their minds. So if you're imagining on your TV screen, you might see, you know, you'll hear this like low music and this like dun-dun-dun music. And you would see maybe Judas, our, our enemy in the story, meeting with the chief priest who wants to kill Jesus. And they're conspiring some kind of um, deal in order to trap Jesus. So that would be one scene. And then we would cut to this other scene with maybe this low, beautiful music of this woman who's just beautiful, and she walks up to Jesus, and she breaks this expensive bottle of perfume and pours it over Jesus' body. And maybe in the background of this beautiful scene, you see these disgruntled disciples like, oh, I can't believe she's doing that. And there's like shame and judgment on her. And then we cut to this other scene where there's like this low, confusing music, and you hear Jesus say, don't judge her. She's preparing my body for burial. And then maybe the faces of the, the disciples in the background are kind of like confused, still frustrated. So that's where we're coming at in this scripture that we're going to be reading today. We know that Judas has made some kind of agreement with the chief priest to betray Jesus. We know that Jesus is saying his body is being prepared for burial. And we know that there's some confusion among his people. Here is the word of the Lord, Mark 14. Just listen. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So they sent two disciples, two of his disciples, and told them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, 
entered the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him one by one, Surely it's not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. As they were eating, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, Take it. This is my body. They, then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as you're picturing this scene, let's, let's dive into the text and just see what we notice. Again, this discipleship series, we are focusing in more on just what the Spirit might be bringing to your mind um, as an individual, but in, also as a community as we see the Word together. And so when we dive in, uh, we look at the first verse, chapter 14, verse 12, and it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. And I just want to take a time out here and notice that this is probably not a festival that many of us participate in. And I want to notice that this might be confusing for many of us who um, haven't studied Jewish culture. And I want to just say, that's okay. I know many people struggle in reading scripture because we believe, again, maybe in our academic American minds that we should understand everything. And, and get everything that is being told to us. But that's, that's not what the scripture is here for in, in this case. In some cases, it's just to hear it and maybe give us an opportunity to be curious. So in my curiosity of what is this first day of unleavened bread when they sacrifice the Passover lamb, um, I was actually reminded of last week when Pastor Caleb spoke about those first 12 verses in chapter 14. He did a fantastic job of explaining kind of where the history of this Passover comes from. Um, and so I really encourage you to read, uh, go back and listen to him if you haven't already. It will give a little bit more details and a little bit more fullness to what we're talking about today. But in short, the Passover was a feast that the Jewish people celebrated every single year. It reminded them of when God rescued them out of slavery of Egypt. And through a series of plagues that are gruesome and confusing to our 21st century minds, um, God rescues them. But it was the very last plague in which God tells the people, um, unless you kill a lamb and you paint the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, um, I will kill your firstborn son. And again, this is confusing. It doesn't make any sense uh, to our 21st century ears. Um, but that, that is where this idea of Passover comes from. So when the people would paint the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, then the angel of death would pass over that particular household, and, and the lamb was used to, in place of the firstborn son. 
Because of this plague, then uh, Pharaoh, who was uh, the bad guy at the time, released God's people and the people were freed. And so they celebrate this, I imagine, in a joyful way because they remember every year it's a reminder of how God delivered them from one of the, the worst times in the, their people's lives. And so, uh, again, thinking about the Passover, uh, part of the Passover is that everybody would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. So if you're imagining in your mind, the, uh, at this point in the story, everybody's um, coming in on Jerusalem and it's just packed. So in my mind, I think about like, for us, maybe, you know, if you're thinking about New York City on New Year's Eve night, like everybody's coming in from everywhere, even all over the country, to celebrate this New Year's Eve, and it's, it's a huge deal. And so these families are coming together, people they haven't seen in a long time uh, coming together and just really in, in celebrating this time together. So that's where we're at. Um, then we continue. It says, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So any good festival, any good gathering includes a really great meal, right? And so, um, like I said earlier, I believe Scripture is very clear that there were men and women disciples. And so oftentimes I think when we're picturing this, we're only thinking of the 12 men disciples. Um, But I believe that, sorry, again, according to Scripture, there were hundreds of disciples. And so when I've read this before, I've had this read to me before, usually um, hearing it from a man, I've been led to believe and picture this as two men disciples. But when I started thinking about this, here's a question for you. Whenever there's a big family meal or a big celebration, who's the one who's typically preparing all the things that you need for that meal? Who? The women, right? And so when I started thinking about this, I started picturing, I bet there were two women who went up, or women who were going up and going, okay, we've got all the stuff that we bring every year for the Passover. We've got our special pots. We've got our recipe cards for these special dishes and everything that we do normally for Passover. So I'm imagining it's a couple women going to Jesus and going, okay, where are we going to have this Passover at? So just, just interesting. And just to notice that when one of, that individuals sometimes will read these passages in different ways. And that's okay. I believe, again, that Scripture, we're meant to be creative and imaginative when it's not super clear, and it's not super clear um, who these disciples were. So let's continue. So he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now again, for me, in my mind, as I'm, I'm reading this, and maybe scripture's not super clear, I'm thinking about these women who are coming to Jesus and saying, okay, we've got all the supplies, now where are we going to have this dinner? And I'm thinking about this really overwhelmed, busy city, almost like, I don't know if you guys were here when um, Super Bowl was here, like all the Airbnbs and hotels were absolutely packed. It was impossible to find a place to stay. And so maybe these women were coming up and going, oh, I hope he has a plan. 
And he did. He had a plan. And it was, a, and it was awesome. And so for me as a woman who have been in that spot before, I, I read this and I think, oh, Jesus is so cool that he thought of every detail. And so he prepared. He made these arrangements with this man, with his home, um, that we can have the Passover. But here's the cool thing is when you read scripture as a group or with other people who maybe are different than you, you hear a different perspective. So as I was preparing for this message, I was listening to uh, Tim Mackey, who is the producer of The Bible Project. We've uh, shared some of his videos here before. And when he talked about this, he's like, I imagine Jesus as this super spy like he made these arrangements, this under this you know under the ground situation where he this stranger who had this big upper room and there's this secret signal where this man uh, carrying this jar of water in order to uh, keep everybody safe. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but it is kind of cool. And then I started thinking, but why would he need to be a super spy? And realizing, oh. We know that Jesus and the disciples were in danger entering Jerusalem. We know that because Judas is making this deal with the chief priest to betray Jesus. And so something that I wouldn't have honed in on, I wouldn't have imagined um, in my own reading, because I'm reading with someone else and people who are different than me, I hear a fuller story of what is going on at this time. And so Jesus, knowing full well, we see in scripture, he knows what's coming, that he is called to be the sacrifice, but he also knows it's not time yet. So he makes this arrangement with a, a man that they haven't worked with before in Jerusalem so that they can have a private place for him to meet with his disciples one last time before he is led to the cross. So again, just interesting. We continue. It says, when evening came, he arrived with the 12. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, when I was reading this earlier, and we were all imagining, in my mind, I imagined uh, this painting. I'm sure you guys have seen this before, Da Vinci's uh, version of The Last Supper. I'm going to hone in. This is a little bit brighter. You can see it up there on the screen. And I, I picture this picture of what that last supper looked like. But I want to encourage us and remind us that this is da Vinci's imagination of what he was reading in that passage. And maybe not everything is exactly accurate to what scripture was pointing to. Not that it's bad that he has this image or this creativity, but when we, we are in danger when we take someone else's work and accept it as absolute truth, or this is the picture we have in our mind. And I'll prove it to you. So when we read scripture earlier, is there anything in this picture, if you guys can put it back on the screen, thank you, anything in this picture that um, maybe isn't an accurate reflection of what scripture said? Say it again. Reclining, right? They were reclining. And Pastor Caleb talked about this last week, that when, um, at that time, you know, they wouldn't have tables and chairs like, like we're used to seeing. They would all be sitting on the floor on cushions, reclining, kind of like on top of each other in everybody's space, right? So we see here, um, again, Da Vinci's not 
100% accurate, and maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't, but when you read that scripture that says, one who is with me, and you're thinking about maybe uh, 100 disciples in this room, Jesus is kind of calling out one who is in my kind of sphere, really close to me. Um, we also notice a couple other things that are a little bit uh, different here than maybe the scripture would have, uh, the scripture indicates. Uh, we notice that da Vinci wrote this, or I'm sorry, painted this in 15th century Europe. And do you notice what most of these men look like? White, 15th century Europeans, don't they? Except, notice this fourth head right here, um, who is identified as Judas, the bad guy, who's got darker skin. Hmm. I wonder if that might affect how we think about what was going on at that time, who the good guys and the bad guys are, if we adopt this picture as our absolute truth. And in reality, I believe uh, Scripture is very clear in that it looks maybe more like this when they're coming together. They're coming together and they're all coming from different places, different mindsets, different thoughts. Whereas Da Vinci paints everybody looking the same except the bad guy. In reality, Everybody was, again, called from these different spaces. You've got um, maybe someone who's very wealthy next to someone who has very little to their name. Then you've got um, maybe you've got some women. You've got this guy who likes to go fishing. Uh, you've got these, these couple people who all they ever talk about is politics and how their team is the right team. Um, and then you've got this guy who talks all the time about his favorite sports team, the Cowboys, may or may not be named Caleb. Um, you know, you, this group of people that don't normally come together, right, wouldn't want to even sit next to each other. But Jesus brings them together in this room. They don't all look the same. And then just another funny note is, why are they all sitting on one side of the table? If you've ever prepared a meal for a lot of people, you use every space you possibly can, right? But anyway, he did the best he could. Let's continue. So Jesus had just said to them, and in that picture, and I believe um, Da Vinci did get this right, Jesus had just said, somebody's going to betray me, somebody who's close to me. And then you hear the disciples start to begin to be distressed and say to him, one by one, surely not I. And you see this in Da Vinci's painting. You know, you've got all these different emotional reactions to what Jesus is saying. And it really calls attention to us to think, instead of them thinking about Jesus being betrayed, their immediate first thought was, is it me? Am I going to be the one? And just when we have that mindset, how we interact with other people, if we're always on that defensive, on guard kind of place. And he says to them, it is one of the 12, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. So Jesus is reminding his disciples, and again, they don't know what's really coming we have the, the ability to look back. We've read scripture, we've heard scripture, and we know what's coming. They don't know what's coming. They have no context. So Jesus is using this last opportunity to remind them, it has been written. You know this is coming. You may not realize these connections, but it's coming. But then he goes on to say, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. And I just want to remind us that Jesus' ways are not our ways. And when I read this first, and maybe many of you um, read it this way too, I thought, yeah, of course, 
Judas should get what, what is owed to him. He hurt the one I loved. He betrayed Jesus. How could he do that? Of course, he deserves every possible evil thing that could happen to him. But then as we've been going through scripture and as we've been learning about the character of Jesus and how he was with people that we don't expect him to be with and how he showed compassion and grace for people that we wouldn't normally give compassion and grace for, I wonder if he had compassion for Judas in this moment. We know in scripture that later Judas uh, actually kills himself. And for him to be in that place, I imagine there was so much shame and guilt and just unbelievable pressure of what have I done, unsure of, of what part he has played in this in order for him to kill himself. And I, I imagine Jesus knew that. And when he's saying, woe to this man, I'm betting he's feeling what Judas might be feeling at that time. And having compassion and love for him, for Judas. And so just to notice that, that maybe sometimes when we are sitting across from the people that we think God, just, Jesus could not possibly love, Jesus' ways are not our ways. And so if we can just take a deep breath for a moment. We just found out that, uh, you know, we find out that Judas is the one that's going to betray him. We find out that Jesus is going to die, and this is all really heavy. And then if we're going back to our TV series and we stop for a minute, maybe Peter will pop in right here and say, okay, you think that's crazy? You won't believe what's coming next. So are you guys ready? What's coming next? Okay. It says, as they were eating, he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body. So Jesus says, I'm going to die. And right now they're celebrating the Passover when they're in their minds. They're talking about when, when God delivered them from Egypt out of slavery. And the lamb was used as a sacrifice for the firstborn son, as a replacement for the death of the firstborn son. And then as they're eating this meal and thinking about this, Jesus takes the bread. He breaks it and he said, guys, this is my body. It's broken for you. And that, for them, that might have tied a couple things for them together of, of thinking about the Passover lamb and thinking about what role Jesus is going to play. And I, and I believe he's hoping that when everything happens tomorrow, when Jesus is crucified on a cross and everything probably in their minds for the disciples feels like falling apart, they remember Jesus saying, listen, my body is going to be broken for you. And then it gets crazier. He says, then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, this is totally crazy, because there's literally a law in Jewish law that says, don't drink blood. And Jesus is saying, here, this cup is my blood, drink it. And now, I don't believe it was actually blood. I, I know the disciples realized that this is a representation, but it was still strange language. But if you remember, when a covenant is made in the Old Testament, in ancient church times, there's always blood involved. Always. There's a sacrifice of some sort. And so, and usually it is God making a covenant with people, and the people are making some kind of a sacrifice back to God. But Jesus is saying, Okay, I'm offering you my blood. 
And this is the blood for the covenant. So instead of you having to uh, kill a lamb or kill some animal in order to seal this covenant, I'm offering myself as that covenant blood. You don't have to do the work. I'm doing it for you. This is a gift I'm giving to you. But this would have been weird. This would have been strange for the disciples to hear. Now, again, they, they have, some of them have that scriptural past. They might remember some of the Old Testament passages that tie these things together. But still, think about if you're imagining this time when they're together, they're in celebration, they're, it's a joyous time, all these people that maybe they haven't seen in a long time, you're coming together. It's kind of chaotic, right? And you're listening to the people complain about politics or cowboys or, you know, oh, can we just love everybody, <laughs> our, our peaceful person? And, and then Jesus is dropping these really heavy thoughts and really heavy um, truths on his people. And so as they continued, he said, Truly, I will tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. And again, this is pointing back to prophecy in the Old Testament, just again helping them to see that they are, that Jesus is the one that God was sending to be the savior for them. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this was part of their, again, the Passover tradition to sing a hymn. Um, And then they went to the Mount of Olives where we'll see uh, Jesus' famous prayer before he goes to the cross. But so today, I want to give us an opportunity to uh, partner or to be there in the room with the disciples. And so we've been imagining this, we've been thinking about what they might be bringing in the room, and this is a moment for us to kind of uh, sit in that, reflect on what that might look like, what it might mean for us if you hear Jesus say, this is my body and blood given for you. And so I'm, we're going to get ready to take communion. This is in scripture, that's called the Last Supper, it's referred to the Last Supper, we call it communion. And so if you would, you can grab the cups that are in the seat back in front of you if you're in the room. Uh, if you are online, you're welcome to uh, grab for yourself whatever might represent um, the bread and the cup to you. And we're going to take, yeah, go ahead and open those. Let's get that sound out of the way in the room. <laughs> and, uh, and then we're going to take about a minute just to uh, reflect. Take a minute to imagine you're sitting on the floor, reclining on a cushion in that room with the disciples And Jesus sharing these really heavy, curious, interesting words with you. And what it might mean for you personally as we go out into the world today.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he goes to the cross, he takes a piece of bread, he breaks it, and he says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. In the same way, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood given for you. Drink and remember me. As followers of Jesus, we are commanded to do this regularly to remember his sacrifice for us. Now, as we close the service, uh, I want to invite our prayer team up. Uh, they're going to be standing here at the bottom of the stairs. You guys can come on up now. We have talked about some really heavy things, some really confusing things today, or maybe you walked in the room carrying some heavy things. I just want to encourage you, if you would like prayer, the team will be here available to you directly after the service uh, and would be honored to pray with you. And if you are unable to come forward after the service is ended, just raise your hand right where you're at and uh, one of us will come to you. Now, would you join me as I pray and then we will read a benediction and release you. Father, thank you for your unending, unfailing love, that you call us your children, that you pursue us through thick, through thin, through good, through bad, that you love us so much that you won't leave us where we're at, that you call us to be in community, to care for one another, to learn from one another, to read your words, to remember your son. Thank you for the sacrifice that drew us closer, drew, gave us the opportunity to be close to you. In your name, amen. Here we'll end uh, with these words in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, May the grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for the life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Go and have a wonderful day and we will see you next week.